0: This is the Rocky Mountain Review for Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. I'm your host, Coda Babcock. And I'm Ivy Winfrey. And you're listening to KCSU Fort Collins.
1: On today's show, Ellie Shannon will update us on campus news, and I'll be updating you on local news. Then, we'll be hearing from KCSU sports director, Dixon Lawson.
0: After that, we'll be hearing from filmmaker and CSU associate professor, Usama Al-Shabi about his film work and career, and I'll be delivering some national news.
1: Then, we'll be hearing some of the highlights from Maddie Erskine's interview with local musician David Miner. And Coda will update us on COVID restrictions and statistics.
0: After that, we'll be hearing from Molly O'Shea about how CSU is partnering with a climate organization to help ski areas prepare for climate change. And then, I'll update us on tech news.
1: To conclude the show, I'll update us on the strange things
0: happening in the world. Let's move right into campus and local news.
2: Hey guys, this is Ellie Shannon reporting for the Rocky Mountain Review and KCSU. I'm so glad to get this fourth week of our spring semester started with interesting news of CSU beginning Phase 3 of their plan to combat COVID-19. Vice President of the University, Mary Peterson, sent a message to the CSU community on how expansion will now start for COVID-19 screening for students, faculty, and staff. Additional testing sites will be located in Moby Arena's parking lot and the Veterinary Teaching Hospital on South Campus. There will also be testing available at the Foothills campus. The first metal beam will be laid on the first complete building on CSU's new Spur campus in Denver. All are invited to sign the beam on February 18th and take a tour of the construction site, Tiana Kennedy reports from CSU's College News. CSU Spur will be open in 2022 with three buildings with goals to fuel new ideas for water, health, and food. President Joyce McConnell announced that Roe Bubar will be the interim vice president for diversity at CSU. Bubar has been a professor at CSU after arriving in Fort Collins 22 years ago, according to Isaiah Dennings for the Collegian. The process in finding a permanent vice president for diversity is still underway. Make sure to tune in this week to men's basketball playing tomorrow night at Moby Arena at 9 p.m. And women's is still being determined for Friday. Thanks for listening to the Rocky Mountain Review in KCSU. I'm Ellie Shannon, and you're listening to 90.5 FM.
1: Good afternoon. My name is Ivy Winfrey. Here is your local news for today. One man is dead following a fire that occurred Thursday night in Fort Collins. According to Sarah Kyle at the Colorado Inn, Poudre Fire Authority announced Friday that they responded to a fire occurring in a multi-unit residential facility in the 4700 block of McMurray Avenue around 8.40 p.m. Thursday. There had been reports of a smoke detector going off in one of the facility's units, which prompted the fire authorities' response. When firefighters entered the unit, they encountered active flames and an adult male inside. They moved the man to safety to give him emergency medical care and put out the fire swiftly. But according to the press release, quote, sadly, the patient succumbed to his injuries, end quote. As of Sunday morning, the man's identity had not been publicly released by Larimer County Coroner's Office, but the Poudre Fire Authority did say that the man was in his mid-60s and died from smoke inhalation and thermal injuries. No additional injuries were reported, and the fire did not affect any additional structures or units. A church and skilled nursing facility in Fort Collins are among eight new COVID-19 outbreaks reported in Larimer County over the past week. According to Pat Ferrier at the Coloradoan, Larimer County's volume of active COVID-19 outbreaks stayed flat at 69 last week as 8 br- outbreaks were shifted to resolved status while 8 new ones took their place. Among the result outbreaks were two of the largest outbreaks in the country at LeMay Avenue Health and Rehabilitation Senior Living Facility in Fort Collins and North Shore Health and Rehab Senior Living Facility in Loveland. Among the eight new outbreaks include one, Advantage City Church in Fort Collins, where the outbreak was confirmed January 28th with 11 positive cases, and Golden Peaks in Fort Collins, where the outbreak was confirmed with five positive cases on February 3rd. The other six newly reported outbreaks had two to three confirmed cases each. Locations included an unidentified home daycare site, Kinnard Core Knowledge Middle School in Fort Collins, Fort Collins-based Mail Brothers Landscape Group, Sam's Club in Fort Collins, Western States Bank in Fort Collins, and CDS Engineering in Loveland. A man is in Fort Collins police custody after police found a critically injured woman in a Fort Collins parking lot on Saturday. The woman later died at a hospital. Police received a report of an unconscious injured woman in the parking lot of 525 East Drake Road. When the police arrived, they located the adult female victim with life-threatening injuries. She appeared to have been assaulted, according to the uh, police news release. Police then identified 20-year-old Stephen McNeil as the suspect. The news release Mm -hmm. said that he and the victim knew each other. Police located McNeil February 7th and took him into custody. McNeil was booked into Larimer County Jail on charges of first-degree murder, domestic violence, violation of a protection order, and violation of bail and bond condition. The Larimer County Coroner's Office has not yet released the identity of the woman as of Monday. Investigations Lieutenant Jeremy Yance was quoted in the press release, saying, quote, "...our deepest consolances go out to the family and friends of the victim. This heinous act of violence took a woman's life and forever changed the lives of her loved ones." We will continue working diligently to support her family and seek justice, end quote. Anyone with information about the incident are being asked by police to call Corporal Tessa Jacobson at 970-221-6575. People who wish to remain anonymous may also contact Crime Stoppers of Larimer County at 970-221-6868 or stopcriminals.org. My name is Ivy Winfrey and this has been your local news for today, only on 90.5 KCSU.
3: If you are a current CSU student and would like to be a part of KCSU FM, go to kcsufm.com backslash training to be a live DJ, podcaster, or reporter. This is 90.5
4: KCSU Fort Collins. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. You're tuned in to the RMR Sports Report for the week of February 8th, 2021. First up, we're going to talk a little bit of volleyball. They had their first two games in Moby Arena this weekend, the uh, Friday the 5th and Saturday the 6th. They split that series 1-1 with Air Force after coming out very, very strong in the first game, winning 3-1 that one almost went to five sets, Air Force the next night came back and really put on a show, kind of dominating the Rams throughout all three sets and ended up sweeping them. Something that hasn't been done in 52 consecutive games for the Rams. Um, So unfortunately, that winning streak was broken. But good news, the Rams will look forward to a doubleheader match against Nevada on February 12th and 13th. And after that, they will be back home in Moby Arena the 18th and the 20th against UNLV. Next up, we're going to talk about a little bit of CSU basketball. This past weekend was the Border War matchup for both the men's and the women's as they went up against our rival just north, Wyoming. For the first game on Thursday, the men and the women, the women got started first. Uh, they w- were able to sneak away with a 69-61 to victory, and then an hour later, the men by an even narrower margin, one seventy-four to seventy-two. So it was a very, very good start, um, but very competitive games for the Border War. On Saturday, we had the second of uh, both of these matchups. Starting off at first with the men, they were able to get a little bit um, bigger of a win this time, sixty-eight to fifty-nine, up in Laramie, as well as the women playing in Moby. The Lady Rams were able to sneak away with a three-point victory, 68-65. As well, we had softball playing on Saturday. They were able to win 7-0 against Metro State here in Fort Collins as well. That will do it for the RMR Sports Report for the week of February 8th. My name is Dixon Lawson. Be sure to keep it locked here on 90.5 KCSU FM, Fort Collins.
1: The following interview is a few highlights from my interview with CSU Associate Professor and Filmmaker Usama al shabi If you want to listen to the full interview where we discuss his film The Shadow and his background as a filmmaker, you can find the full extended version on our website on kcsufm.com. Hello today we are joined by Filmmaker Usama al shabi An associate professor at Colorado State University, who's produced many short films, documentaries, and feature films, screened at underground and international film festivals, and on television stations worldwide. Mr. L-Shaby, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Ivy. So, the subjects and themes surrounding many of your films involve the experiences of arabic and muslim people both in and out of america particularly in the context of um, america's many wars in the middle east uh, as a part of its war on terror um would you be able to talk a bit about why your films have this common subject matter and how your personal identity and experiences influence your filmmaking
3: yeah absolutely i you know came to the united states um as a child and immediately was, you know, sort of put, a, put aside, it was one way to think of it, or in my head felt as an outsider. Um, and, you know, I remember when I was in seventh grade, I had a global studies teacher that made me stand up and talk to the class about what it's like to be Iraqi or, or from the Middle East. Which, if you can just imagine like being that young and a teacher making you stand up and talk about who you are and where you're from as if you were some sort of novelty or some sort of exotic animal you know and i i don't think he had ill intentions but um it was that sense that i was different and that feeling carried over even when I returned back to Iraq, because I had partially grew up in the United States. So you're correct. And like a lot of my themes deal with, you know, being being an Arab, being from the Middle East, coming from a Muslim background, and even my fiction films delve into that. Um, but I think the, the core of it is the sense of feeling like an outsider and having to answer um, to that and not just being able to to be a person, um, and so I, I, it was, it was, you know, I started to focus on these themes. But as I was becoming a filmmaker, I, you know, after I graduated from film school when I was in Chicago in the '90s, um, and going into 2001 after September 11th and the attacks on the World Trade Centers. Uh, I started to notice that the language around Arab and Muslim people started to get more violent, more racist. Uh, Keep in mind, there's always been animosity and vilification towards Muslim and Arab people. But after September 11th, it was kind of a free-for-all. And the thing that probably disturbed me the most was that um, President Bush at the time was trying to make an association between Iraq and the terrorist attacks on September 11th and Iraq had nothing to do with it and somehow convinced a very ignorant uh, population that it was acceptable, morally acceptable to to invade Iraq. So, you know, it was it was partly like me looking around and, and seeing that no one, not a lot of people were making work about being Arab American and also a kind of rage, a kind of outrage motivated me. So that's, that's sort of like the core of it, what got me going.
1: Which one of your films would you say best exemplifies
3: your style of filmmaking and why? Um, so I... I mean, my style of filmmaking is varied. I make documentary films that are a bit more serious, and I also make—I don't know how you describe it—more avant-garde films that can be as you know diverse as, like, you know, just something more visual um, or subject matter that's that's a little challenging. Um, But I would say my film called Nice Bombs, where I returned to Iraq after the United States invasion in 2003, uh, was the film I'm most proud of because I was able to kind of cut through all the news bias and all the kind of, you know, war focused media and and go and hang out with my family in Baghdad and talk to my cousin and meet people and show what it's really like um, to be in Iraq during that time. I remember when I returned back to the United States and I edited the film and had screenings and such, um, an audience member came up to me and he said, that is the most radical thing I've ever seen. I said, why is it radical? he's like, because you showed um, Iraqi people as normal people, just like us. I had no idea that like, that's what it looked like over there, that people sitting around eating breakfast and kids playing video games and just, it looked so normal. I was like, oh, and that, that was really shocking and surprising that this person just had no exposure to that because to me, it's very normal. And I, and I realized like how little information, you know, American people get about other parts of the world. And how um, horrifying it is, when we're about to bomb another Middle Eastern country, how quickly the media and the movies dehumanize people, and make them something that is easy for folks to kill, like a video game, or watching it from a distance. You know like there were no there's maybe like one american reporter on the ground during the bombings all the american media and press they were in tanks they were literally embedded with the military their perspective was was through guns and tanks and not and not that and they weren't doing their job which is they should have been with the families and the people um so you know, I felt like that film changed my life and brought some attention to my work. And But more importantly, you know, started the conversation about why do we keep doing this? Why does the United States keep, you know, killing and bombing people from the Middle East? And, and what they did to Iraq, I mean, it's it's recorded. It's, it's almost half a million Iraqis were killed as a direct result of the united states invasion so that film nice bombs and maybe like american arab is another documentary um where i talk more about you know um being an immigrant and talk to other immigrant families um but i don't know it's hard for me to kind of choose one because i just i keep i keep working and i keep moving (laughs) um so yeah i think those two but especially nice bombs
1: What advice would you give to people interested in becoming filmmakers
3: themselves? Uh, No one's going to give you permission to do this work. Um, Make sure it's something you want to see. Don't make it for others. Um, Be okay if people reject it or are afraid of it or disturbed by it. almost every great piece of art has shaken things, (laughs) you know, shaken the establishment, has broke new grounds aesthetically. Um, Hollywood movies are great, but those are like literally millions and millions and millions of dollars just put into one shot to make it look perfect. And you have something better than that, which is you. And, um, Don't mimic what you see on the big screen. Make something yours. And be okay making a short film that's spectacular than trying to do something really, really, really long, like a feature. Make a bunch of short movies. Work with your buddies. Experiment. Have fun with it. Um, Play at film festivals. Take Take it seriously. Write about it. Think about it. But the best thing you can do it's just keep working.
1: Is there anything you'd like to promote, or would you be able to tell our listeners where to go to find out more about your work?
3: Um yeah. Uh you can go to my website, Samalshaby.com. Um and I don't really have anything to promote. I have been doing some podcasts and you can find them on SoundCloud, under Osama Talk. Um, I just, if I was going to ask for anything to promote, um, I would just want everyone to just to be more critical consumers of media, of everything that you watch, to question it. And to recognize in in the United States of America that all of our movies, our news, it's, they're all a type of product. And if they don't make money, they don't, they're not considered successful. And that this is, this is not a great way of looking at art. Um, So, seek out things that are not mainstream, that are not commercial. And definitely, if you're interested in my work, um, I have a lot of stuff on Vimeo. I have, you know, my films, some of them are on DVD, some of them are pay-per-view. Um, but yeah, if you Google my name, Asamal shabi you can watch some of my stuff. Um, but I have a lot of short films that are, are short and are, um, pretty accessible if people want to check them out. Um, but yeah, I, I would say that it's important just to go back to your question earlier, that just because you want to make films doesn't mean you have to watch hundreds of movies. Um, You can be influenced by a poem to make something visual. You can just sit in the sun and be inspired. Um, And just to be okay with your own voice and who you are. Um, And you might feel alone in this world. But if you can express yourself and put something out there, there will be someone else out there that connects to that. And they will feel less alone. And there's something kind of beautiful in all that. So if I was gonna promote anything, it would be to check out my films and then make your own films.
1: (laughs) All right, that's all I have. Um, Again, I've been speaking with filmmaker and CSU associate professor, Usama shabi uh, Mr. Alshaby, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you. Again, that was a few highlights from my full interview with filmmaker Usama Al Alshaby. If you want to listen to the full 40 minute extended interview where we discuss his more recent film, The Shadow, as well as his background in filmmaking, you can visit kcsufm.com. My name is Ivy Winfrey. We'll be right back with more of the Rocky Mountain Review only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins.
2: Nicholas,
5: did you catch the results from last week's joust? No, but I have read the recap online, and a Sir Jonathan won the joust.
0: Huzzah. Huzzah! KCSU Sports always has, and always will, bring you sports. I'm Coda Babcock, and this is National News for Tuesday. Democrats from the U.S. House of Representatives announced a renewal of the investigation into Trump's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Kelsey Snell of National Public Radio, new documents were cited as the cause of the second look into the investigation. House Democrats say that these new documents show evidence of political interference in the U.S. government's COVID-19 response. One of the documents includes an email describing an effort to avoid testing for asymptomatic COVID-19 infections over concerns that positive tests could harm the economy. The primary focus of this renewal focuses on the allegations that Dr. Paul Alexander, an advisor for the Trump administration, worked to hide scientific data and asked members of the coronavirus task force to change COVID-19 information going out to the public. Representative James Clyburn, who chairs the House Oversight Committee, said of the investigation, The previous administration refused to cooperate with the select subcommittee's inquiries with the Department of Health and Human Services, blocking documents and witnesses related to the politicization of public health information, testing and supply shortages, vaccine development and distribution, and other critical aspects of the nation's virus response, end quote. U.S. Representative Ron Wright, who represented the state of Texas under the Republican Party, died after battling with COVID-19 Sunday. According to Emily Koshrain of the Associated Press, Wright tested positive with the coronavirus in January, along with his wife. It has not been clarified whether his death came as a result of COVID-19 or cancer as of Monday, since he was receiving treatment for both conditions. He was the first member of Congress to die battling the virus. Another Republican who was preparing to be sworn into Congress died a few days before he would have begun serving as an elected official. The statement from Representative Ron Wright's office said of Representative Wright, quote, he maintained his quick wit and optimism until the very end, end quote. Wright represented Texas's sixth congressional district and was a member of the House Freedom Caucus. Congressional Democrats are set to propose a child tax credit as part of President Joe Biden's COVID relief plan. According to Nicholas Wu and Michael Collins from USA Today, the tax credit would include up to per child. Families with children up to six would be eligible for the full amount per child and families with children up to 17 years old would be eligible for $3,000 per child. This credit would be sent out in monthly installments from the U.S. government. Current tax law allows for a tax credit of $2,000 per child and the credit would not include couples earning over $150,000 annually or single parents earning over $75,000 annually. Representative Richard Neal, who represents Massachusetts as the chairman of the House, Ways, and Means Committee, said of the proposal, quote, The pandemic is driving families deeper and deeper into poverty, and it's devastating. We are making the child tax credit more generous, more accessible, and by paying it out monthly, this money is going to be the difference in a roof over someone's head and food on their table, end quote. Former President Donald Trump's lawyers are describing his impeachment case as political theater, According to writers at the Associated Press, Trump's lawyers are accusing House Democrats of exploiting the nationwide distraught following the domestic terrorist attack on the Capitol for political gain. In the briefing from his defense lawyers, they claim that Trump's, that Trump's decision to publicly dispute the results of the election was within his First Amendment rights, and they say that he, ex- he explicitly encouraged a peaceful protest rather than the riot that occurred. House impeachment managers filed a document Monday claiming that Trump had betrayed the American people and that there is no meaningful excuse for, ins- for the incitement of the insurrection. Rather than a lengthy discussion prior to the impeachment trial in the Senate, congressmen are expected to rely on videos from the insurgents when making their decision. His impeachment begin- began this morning and was ongoing as of 1 p.m. Tuesday. That's all for national news. I'm Koda Babcock, and you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back with an interview from Maddie Erskine with local musician David Minor.
6: Hi, my name is Maddie Erskine, local music director here at KCSU. And tonight we have a super special segment for you all featuring local country musician David Minor.
7: Uh, My name is David Minor. My pronouns are he and him.
6: Yeah, so who were some of your, um, like, musical inspirations
8: growing up?
7: Man, I would say early on, uh, like, Johnny Cash and David Bowie from my parents, and uh, listened to a lot of that in the house, and then kind of, as the years went by, uh, John Prine and Waylon Jennings kind of took over as the, uh, you know, no, I don't, I wouldn't say that anyone has a bigger influence on me than John Prine and Waylon Jennings.
8: Nice. Yeah, and you've been playing music since like a very young age. How have you like changed as a musician over the years?
7: Well, I mean, just starting off, uh, all I wanted to do was like play rock and roll guitar and, uh, you know, be as loud as I possibly could. And that was fun and kind of took more of an interest in songwriting as I entered into college. And uh, that just kind of took over everything, you know, all the musical aspects began to revolve around songwriting and uh country music in particular
8: nice and yeah that kind of leads into this other question i have of like what is your songwriting process like you know with your more like laid-back country tunes you still have a very like um like there's still a really nice message behind a lot of your music and it's very storytelling so what's that process like
7: it's i mean the inception of the song is always very scattered i don't it's, there's, i never like sit down with a uh idea in mind and if I try to make myself right it always comes out bad but yeah it, you know usually it starts with like an image I really look, like imagery is kind of what I try to base a lot of my songs around trying to paint a picture mm-hmm. and then from there you know I just try to tell the best story I can and something that will you know hopefully move people but I don't I don't ever set out with like trying to like you know explain a thesis or make a point it just kind of comes from whatever story I'm trying to tell to be entertaining
8: yeah it just kind of comes from like an image or like this idea of a story you have and it just evolves as you just play the music to go with it
7: yeah and then the the music the melody kind of just comes from the story or at least i try to make them connect in some way
8: yeah and so your new album um silver valley that was self-produced and released but with some help from some friends so what was that process like
7: yeah um I was lucky to work with some really great musicians and uh, basically just recorded in a friend's barn, uh, set up some mics and, you know, it was very organic. It was great because, you know, we weren't paying for studio time or anything. So we just, you know, laid down some songs, recorded them as many times as we needed to. And uh, that was with uh, Will Ryan, who's a local drummer. And then Charlie Memphis uh, came up from down in Texas and he laid down (laughs) some bass tracks and Got some great, uh, football player on the album. Jackson Rose is really good. So, you yeah, know, it was really collaborative. I've never done anything that, uh, collaborative before, you know, usually I'm in charge of everything.
8: Yeah. Was that like, how, in like, what ways was that like a new experience? Like, how is that different than when you work just by yourself?
7: It was great. It took a lot of pressure off of me. Yeah. Um, and just like in the past I've played like most of the, like, or most of the instruments on the record and, uh, I think that's pretty limiting, you know, create creatively and uh and Jackson Earls the fiddle player, he he came in and would do like lay down his fiddle tracks kind of after everything else was done was done and uh every time he'd come in to record, I would have to go back and redo all my guitar tracks cuz <laughs> like, oh, he would give me an idea that I would have to be, be like I to follow that like yeah so it, was, it helped me, you know, expand my horizons and also just like made it a little bit easier. It was fun to sit back and watch people play.
8: Yeah, definitely, like, bouncing off of people is something that makes your music a bit different. So, like, in what ways is this album different than some of your previous stuff?
7: Man, I don't know. I think it's more mature, you know, songwriting-wise, slowly finding my voice, I think. And then just, uh, you know, musically, that it's more, like, finished ideas. It's not, you know, just me playing four different instruments in a room. It's, like, this much more, like there's a sense of community to it. And like, you know, just building off of one another and making something that's a little more of like a completed idea, as opposed to like a lot of my older stuff, I would say were like half ideas or not as well executed as this.
6: Well, I think it's time to get back to some music. This is Silver Valley by David Miner right here on 90.5 KCSU.
5: see these mountains in the afternoon Backlit by the sun Looks like they could fall right down on you My daddy mined these hills like his old man Through the floods and the fires They both died on this land But it seems to me there were no other way was all I knew to do Silver always paid in every Night I dreamed of a burning wagon wheel
4: And the river's
5: running red And the cross on the hill Oh, Silver Valley One day these mountains will come down on me Oh, Silver Valley mountains will come down on me They called it Silver Valley, said we'd all be rich But the suits took all the money And they left us in the ditch and the snow Slides always took the mines down We'd always rebuild, treading the water till we drowned cause Man can always find a way to feel stuck when the hills are closing in. And you ain't ever had good luck, and I've heard that down in Boise they are hiring. Digging in the dirt is getting tiring. Oh, Silver Valley. Mountains will come down on me, Oh, whole Silver Valley. One day, these mountains will come down. job there's always something happening red lights on every block and I was used to digging in the dirt this place is real dirty and every time I breathe it hurts and I work hard and I send my family every dollar and I try to ignore the bloodstains on my blue collar and they send me Letters about the changing times and how the pastures are full of power lines Oh, Silver Valley One day these mountains will come down on me Oh, Silver Valley These mountains will come down on me
6: Silver Valley by David Miner, who I had the pleasure of chatting with over zoom about his music
8: what impact do you hope that your music has on listeners
7: oh that's a good question i uh, I don't know I just hope to entertain you know and like if uh, people can find a little bit of themselves in my songs that's wonderful too I'm not trying to change anyone's mind or uh, you know make a grand point but you know all, I write songs that aren't all about me but I always try to put a little bit of myself into it and uh if you know it can go the other way where hopefully everyone can find some you know humanity in it all and you know, just be entertained I don't know
8: yeah definitely is there anything else you'd like listeners to know i saw you have some upcoming shows
7: yeah it's um you know shows are weird it's all on my website but yeah uh, things are strange right now very
8: but, uh, interesting situation with shows (laughs) yeah very limited but it's still really great though there's opportunities to play
6: my name is maddie erskine and thank you all so much for tuning into this local music segment here on kcsu and if you missed any of this episode it will be up on our website kcsufm.com
0: back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from local musician David Minor. I'm Coda Babcock and these are COVID-19 updates for Tuesday. Colorado State University has a cumulative total of over 2,000 cases of COVID-19 since the tracker was released in May of 2020. Cases related to students, faculty, and staff at the university have been on an overall decrease but cases are going up slightly since spring move-in. Larimer County has moved back to a medium risk for COVID-19 transmission and is now in level yellow concern on the state-style framework. This does not mean that the county is prepared to fully return to normal, and masks are still required by all businesses in the region, but it does mean that we are taking a step in the right direction. There are over 18,300 cases of COVID-19 in the county and 210 people have died as a result of the virus. There are 315 outbreaks in Larimer County, and nearly 50,000 people have been able to receive vaccinations. In the past 24 hours, there have been 35 new positive cases of COVID-19, and in the past two weeks, every day has seen a minimum of 15 new cases. In the past two weeks, not a single day has seen over 10% of of tests administered come back positive. The county's 14-day case rate is 261 per 100,000 residents, which is considered high. There are 23 COVID patients currently receiving hospital treatment. Hospital utilization is at a healthy 66% and ICU utilization is is in a low range at 63%. This means that our hospitals have enough space to care for people in case of an emergency or sudden hospitalization spike. The state of Colorado now has over 406,000 cases of COVID-19 and 2.4 million Coloradans have been tested for the virus. There have been a total of 5,700 deaths among cases, and 5,500 have been confirmed to have been from COVID-19. There are over 3,600 total outbreaks across the state. According to a state news release, Colorado has introduced a new version of the DIAL framework this weekend. This version allows for swift changes in status levels when counties need to go into more restrictive levels, and accounts for COVID-19 immunity from vaccines. According to the news release, the new metrics are, quote, Counties in level green must now have no more than 15 COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people in one week or a comparable number of cases in counties with under 20,000 people. Counties in level blue must now have between 15 and 100 COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people in one week. Counties in level yellow must now have between 100 and 300 COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people in one week. The rate of positive tests must be no more. Than 7.5 percent. Counties in level orange must now have between 300 and 500 COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people in one week. The rate of positive tests must be no more than 10 percent. Counties in level red will now have no more or will now have more than 501 COVID-19 cases per 100,000 people in one week. At this level. Hospital system capacity is constrained, and state assistance is requested for patient transport or staff augmentation. In counties of level purple, statewide hospital capacity risks being breached and crisis standards of care are approaching, end quote. Nationwide, there are nearly 30 million cases of COVID-19, over 460,000 deaths, and 43.2 million vaccines have been administered. Deaths are hitting a plateau, meaning they are neither increasing dramatically or decreasing drastically, but new cases are significantly lower than previous weeks. There are about 33.5 new cases daily in the past week, and the states currently experiencing harsher increases include southwestern states like Texas and Oklahoma. The only way for those not yet eligible for the COVID-19 vaccine to protect themselves and others from virus transmission and complications is by washing your hands for 20 seconds regularly, wearing a face mask or cloth face covering, avoiding touching your face, and staying at home when possible. Information for this segment was gathered from the CSU COVID site, Larimer County, the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, the New York Times, and the Centers for Disease Control. I'm Coda Babcock. And you're listening to the Rocky Mountain Review on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back with information on how Colorado State University is partnering with a climate center to support local ski areas through climate change. All right. Today, I'm joined by Molly O'Shea, who is a reporter for The Collegian. And we're going to talk about her story about the CSU ski area management team helping the ski industry in Colorado combat climate change. So to start off with, what is the Colorado Climate Center?
9: So the Colorado Climate Center is actually a state climate so- climate office here in Fort Collins that just provides services surrounding climate change. So it's a group of scientists and climatologists that help provide data and they come up with the best tools and most effective like ways of getting the knowledge out there about climate change. And yeah, it's it's pretty cool. They help with a lot of different projects and they report on all of Colorado's climate. So it's, an, it's a cool group
0: for sure. All right. And then what CSU departments are most closely handling this partnership um, and why does that matter?
9: So, the Colorado Climate Center physically is located in the Department of Atmospheric Sciences, but their biggest supporter is the College of Agricultural Science. And within that, it's the Agri- Agricultural Experiment Station. Um, and there are similar to the Climate Center, but they focus a lot on um, obviously agriculture and talking about like the best way to grow and be sustainable and um, while aligning with like what's best for the environment. So they've been partnered since the center got started and they're the biggest supporter. And I think that's the most important, or it's important to know that just because of how hand in hand the two go And we're obviously a big agricultural school and educator in that field Um, and so we want to make sure that the students that are coming out learn how to do that while also being like sustainable and knowing everything they need to know about climate change.
0: Yeah, Um, how have ski areas in particular been impacted by climate change in recent years?
9: Yeah, so um, as the data from the Center has showed, there's just going to continue to be an increase in temperatures um, over time, which will affect precipitation. And so places like um, the East Coast, they're experiencing a lot more rain um, versus snow, which is already like a sign of increased temperatures. And I think anybody who's like a winter sports enthusiast would kind of already start to see these changes take place. Um, And it's only going to get more dramatic as time goes on and as the temperatures continue to increase.
0: All right. And then what is the goal of this partnership between CSU, um, the Climate Center, and um, the local ski areas?
9: So I think the goal is just to get the best research out that they can and to be as um, preemptive as we can like all together in um preventing climate change and doing what we can to slow those changes and i think it's awesome that all three are working together on this because it's definitely a group effort and it's also something that's going to affect um colorado as a whole and anybody that's grown up skiing and also the climate. So, I so it's just to get out there and make sure everybody's informed so they can be making the best decisions they can for the industry and for our climate. All
0: right. How does the Climate Center support other Colorado industries that might be impacted by climate change?
9: Um so like I mentioned, it's really big in all aspects of agriculture um I think that I'm not, I'm not super knowledgeable about all of those aspects, but um, just growing um, the different seasons, how like different seasons will be affected by climate change. So that's a really big industry that's going to be impacted if things continue the way they are with our climate. Um, they also actually partnered with the Colorado Wine Industry Development Board, which I thought was cool. I did not know that before weeks ago and so that's just helping create maps of where in Colorado the climate is most suited for viticulture exploration and like growing um everything in the wine industry and then the rest of their stuff is it's really public knowledge which is awesome they have monthly climate statements they pretty much anything you could be wondering about Colorado's climate they provide right on their website um And they also give, there's a whole tools tab so you can um, kind of learn how to be looking out for um, effects of climate change. And uh, yeah, they just, they do a good job of reporting literally everything you could think of about Colorado's climate specifically.
0: All right, and then how many ski areas are involved in this partnership and why is it important that there's a good amount?
9: Yeah, so they can't really discuss specifically who is a part, but 21 different ski area managers have been like interviewed and discussed, um, have been discussing working with this group. And I think seven of those were specifically in Colorado, which is really cool.
0: And we are back on the Rocky Mountain Review. You just heard from Molly O'Shea about climate change in ski areas. I'm Koda Babcock, and this is Tech News for Tuesday. Mark Cuban and Fulham Fatemi are founding a podcasting app called Fireside, which will allow hosts to speak to fans live and monetize those conversations. According to Ashley Carmen at The Verge, the application will be launching later this year. The platform allows creators to have live conversations that are filtered through. Fireside includes built in analytics tools to support creators in finding the best platforms for their audio shows. Fireside is expected to be a specially curated program which will foster, quote, civil intelligent discourse, shared connected experiences, and genuine relationship building virtually, end quote. Tesla has invested $1.5 billion into Bitcoin and is now preparing to accept the cryptocurrency as payment. According to Anakin Top of CNN Business, Bitcoin recently soared to an all-time high of nearly $45,000 per Bitcoin, although this dropped by about $1,500. Tesla shares climbed by about 1.5% following the announcement, and Tesla founder and CEO Elon Musk has recently discussed other forms of cryptocurrency on his social media, including Dogecoin. China has blocked discussion app Clubhouse using its strict internet censorship features. According to Joe McDonald and Dake Kang at the Associated Press, Clubhouse allowed for rare discussions of sensitive topics such as democracy in China. The app allowed for Chinese users to discuss these issues, and it was largely unfiltered, meaning that conversations about the government's issues were fully allowed. Service to the program was cut off Monday, and Chinese users lost access to the site entirely. Clubhouse allowed... Clubhouse allowed Chinese users to also speak with people in Hong Kong, Taiwan, and members of the Uyghur minority. Some discussions were related to human rights crisis in Xinjiang, where Uyghur Muslims are being put into what the Chinese government refers to as re-education camps, and many activists refer to as concentration camps. That's all for tech news. Now for Weird News with Ivy Winfrey. If you missed any part of the show so far, check us out online after the show on Spotify or at KZUFM.com news.
1: Hello there, my name is Ivy Winfrey, and sometimes we need to be a little weird. So here's some of the weirdest stories I've found from around the world today. A man has died after a cannon exploded at the baby shower he was attending. According to Amanda Watts and Scotty Andrew at CNN, Michigan State Police said in a statement that Evan Thomas Silva died Saturday after he was struck by shrapnel from the cannon, which was fired to celebrate the baby's pending arrival. When the cannon was fired by the homeowner, police said the cannon blew up, spraying large shrapnel shards across the yard that struck Silva, three vehicles in the garage of the home in the Gaines Township. Silva was standing about 10 to 15 feet away from the cannon and was the only person hit by the shrapnel, police said. He was taken to a local hospital where he died from his injuries. According to the police statement, quote, The cannon did not contain any projectiles, but it is suspected that the gunpowder loaded into the device caused the cannon to fracture, resulting in shrapnel being spread in the area. End quote. CNN affiliate WJRT reported that Silva was a friend of the family who hosted the event. Silva was from Heartland, Michigan, according to the police. Genesee County prosecutors will review the case when Michigan State Police's investigation concludes, the police said. Silva's death is not dissimilar from accidents that have occurred at gender reveal parties, wherein soon-to-be parents announce the gender of their unborn child with pyrotechnic devices or elaborate displays that have caused devastating wildfires, plane crashes, or deaths of partygoers. A new study has found that marmosets judge their neighbors by eavesdropping on their conversations to determine if they're worthy of friendship. According to Tess Juice at Science Magazine, the American Association for the Advancement of Science published a study made by scientists working in the University of Zurich researching marmosets responding to recorded marmoset calls. The experiment was carried out using three different recordings, one where there was a negative interaction between an adult marmoset and a hungry child marmoset, one in a similar scenario where the interaction was positive, and one that had an individual marmoset's voice as a control group. The researchers also measured the emotions of the marmosets through measuring the temperature of their noses, which fluctuates depending on their moon. After listening to the recordings, the marmosets were then placed in a room where they were given two options, one door that led to their original enclosure, and one door where there was a mirror and was playing the audio recordings. The scientists found that on average, the marmosets would be attracted to the room with a positive interaction audio, and upon seeing their reflection and thinking that their reflection was a stranger, would attempt to socialize with their own reflections. From this, they were able to determine that marmosets practice eavesdropping to determine friendship. Rachel Brueger, a doctoral candidate of anthropology at the University of Zurich, explained their findings. Quote, These marmosets are not just passive observers of third-party interactions. They really interpret and understand what third parties are doing. The El Paso Zoo will name a cockroach after your ex and feed it to one of their zoo animals for Valentine's Day. According to the El Paso Zoo website, the zoo is running their annual Quit Bugging Me event, where people who sign up to have the zoo name uh, Ma- Madagascar Hissing Cockroaches after their exes and be able to watch zookeepers feed those cockroaches to their iguanas, skinks, and meerkats rats online. Interested people can submit the online form at elpasozoo.org. The names during the feedings are displayed anonymously and only the first names are displayed. The sign-up is free, but the zoo is asking anybody interested to donate to the zoo. As a part of the promotion, they're also pledging that for each $1,000 they receive one of uh, one of their zookeepers will also eat one of these cockroaches. My name is Ivy Winfrey, and this has been your Weird News for today, only on 90.5 KCSU Fort Collins. We'll be right back with more of the Rocky Mountain Review.
2: Nicholas, did you
8: catch
5: the results from last week's joust? No, but I read the recap online, and
7: Sir Jonathan won the joust.
1: Huzzah. Huzzah! KCSU Sports always has, and always will, bring you sports. And now for the
0: weather. This week you can expect sunny but cold weather. Today was just above a freezing with a high of 35 and a low of 14, with cloudy skies and winds reaching 8 miles per hour. Tomorrow, you can expect lots of sun with a slight rise in temperature, with a high of 38 and a low of 16 and 9 mile per hour winds. Thursday will cool down and some clouds will drift back in with a high of 32 and a low of just 3 degrees, with winds reaching up to 10 miles per hour. And for Friday, you'll have to tune in this Thursday from 4 to 5 p.m. Just a hint, there may or may not be snow this weekend, so remember to catch us Thursday on the Rocky Mountain Review, only on 90.5 KCSU, Fort Collins. If you miss us, feel free to listen in on Spotify or at kcsufm.com slash news.
1: And that's all for today. We just wanted to thank Damian Castile for our amazing theme music that's playing right now.
0: We'd like to thank Thomas Taylor, Asher Corin, Stephanie Keel, Hannah Copeland, Addison Lambert, Elliot Hutchinson, Jonathan Gillum, Ben Kruger, Ben Haney, Dixon Lawson, Peter Walk, Taylor Sandel, and the rest of the staff here at KCSU and Rocky Mountain Student Media. We couldn't do this without you. And I'd like to thank you, Coda. And I'd like to thank you, Ivy.
1: And finally, we couldn't do this without you, dear listener. Thank you.
0: And with that, we'll see you next time.